0: Sometimes, why silence is such a difficult thing for us to relate to in our relationship with God is that we think that God is supposed to act like people do. And last time I checked, we were made in his image, not him being made in ours, right? We get silence from people a lot of times when they are hurt or angry or uncertain or too busy. Do we imprint those things on God when we have silence in our lives from Him? I think oftentimes we do. I think we naturally kind of assume that because He's silent, He's unhappy with us. Or because He's silent, there's something that we're missing. Or even worse, you know, we cry out in our need and we get no response and we begin to wonder if He's just too busy. Hang on, I got a lot of things in the queue. I'll be with you in a moment. And God is none of those things. Right? God is none of those things. He has called you his dearly loved children. You know? Even when, even when our actions grieve him significantly, we're no longer the objects of his wrath. We're his dearly loved children, right? And he's not too busy for us. So what then is the silence of God? See, from the beginning of history, there have been times when God has just been silent. And humanity has always struggled to understand and respond to it. Some of our greatest figures of faith have had to deal with the frustrating realization that God was going to respond with silence. Think about it. Abraham receives a promise from God your children are going to be like sand on the seashore or stars in the sky and it's been years and like i got nothing you know I, where what happened to the promise what what happened to the what happened to you know the kids so, you know what happened to the land for that matter you know you called me out and said i you know i'm going to give you this land and i I'm like wandering around in other people's land. I don't have any land. You know, I don't have a place to call my own. You know, Job is afflicted and he cries out for an answer from God. He's like, look, I don't just make this make sense for me. Right? And the entire book is him going, Can somebody please just if he would just show up and help make this make sense for me, I would be good. Right? And that's kind of the, the premise of the whole book. Because what do you do when you're afflicted and you say, God, help me make this make sense. And he's not showing up and helping make this make sense, right? Joseph has this dream. And everything in his life seems to start going counter to his dream. And he's sitting in a jail cell for doing the right thing. You know? Where is the reality of this dream that you, pro- that you promised me, God? Moses has a revelation from God, and he tries to put it in action, and the next thing you know, he's herding sheep in Midian. This is not where I was supposed to be, okay? This is not how the plan was supposed to be. We were supposed to have a revolution on our hands here, right? And I'm, I'm a sheep herder. What happened? I'm not a sheep herder for just a little while. I'm a sheep herder for 40 years. What's going on? David makes plans for a temple that he will never build or see. He still does it. Jeremiah buys a field in a desolate Jerusalem that he will never use. Mary and Martha watch their brother die while waiting to see if Jesus got their message to come. The Bible is filled with people that are met with the silence of God sometimes the agonizing silence of God and what do you do with that all of these periods of silence have people struggling with how to deal with it and sometimes like in David and Joseph they make you know they they deal with it well eventually some make poor decisions you know Moses and Abraham sometimes making some poor decisions right when faced with God's silence some people are just outright complaining at God for putting them in the position that they're in. I think of Jeremiah and Job, you know? <laughs> they just, you know. They're voicing their complaints into the open air, going like, why do you even have me doing this? Why am I even in this situation? And that's all a part of dealing with what do we do with the silence of God. In this 400-year period of silence, 400 years, just wrap your mind around that. 400 years of silence between Malachi, who is chronologically the last prophet, okay, the last word of the Lord, and the time of Matthew, it becomes a breeding ground for both despair and hope for God's people. If you look at the, if you look at the landscape of the day, many people had responded to God's silence in very negative ways. And you look at the Sadducees and kind of like what's come out of that at the time of Jesus. They basically secularized the religion into a political system. And it really doesn't have anything but the law driving in it. You know, there's, 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 no, there's no hope. There's no resurrection. There's no, basically it's just, you know, the, the, the sacrifices are made. The temple is full of prayers and life goes on. And that's what it's settled into. Spiritual apathy. You know, we're doing it, but it doesn't really matter anymore. Where you think of like the Pharisees or, or even the Essenes, and, and they, they responded with this increased devotion. And, and for the Essenes, you know, the, the group that John the Baptist probably ran with, um, it, was, it was moving out of civilization. And if we can just kind of get away from everything and really get close to God, then maybe he'll hear us again. And with the Pharisees, it had turned into kind of hyper-fundamentalism where if we can just get everything right, then maybe we'll hear the voice of God again. and i'm oversimplifying but but what i want you to realize is that the hope was draining out of much of the followers of god at the time so much so that when god started speaking again many couldn't even hear it for what it was anymore <coughs> sorry about that been kind of sick this week Corporate sponsorship part of the sermon was brought to you by NyQuil, okay? Um, no, not really. But what I need you to see here, and, and what, what the real driving point I want to leave you with here today, as we begin this time of Advent, okay, is that in the middle of the despair, hope blossoms for those who, who see silence as a breeding ground for hope. There are these two stories in Luke that I think get overlooked a lot. Okay. You know, cuz we we focus on, you know, we got the shepherds and we've got Mary and we've got, you know, Zechariah and Elizabeth and we've got all these stories and then there are these two people that we miss. And one of them is named Simeon. And the other one is named Anna. And I love their stories. They're so small that we might we might miss what's going on. But one, I love them because they're old. Okay. And, and not just because they're old. Okay. But I love people that are old. Okay. So, you know, <laughs> Daniel, Methuselah, Kiran at 265. I didn't know whether that was age and years or whether you were just measuring out the centimeters of your beard, okay? So, either way, quite impressive, all right? Love it, all right? Love you, all right? Um, but they have been holding on to a promise their whole life, and now they're at the end of their life, but somewhere in the middle of the silence, they still heard and saw God. Simeon is convinced by the Holy Spirit that he's not going to die before he sees the salvation of Israel with his own eyes. He's like, it's a promise. I don't know how he got it. I don't know where he got it, but he got it from the Holy Spirit, says Luke, and he's convicted by it and he will not let it go even though he's lived his whole life and he's never seen it. And Anna, somehow, even in a land of no prophets, is called a prophetess of God. Somehow, when the silence is on the entire nation and there is no word from the Lord, she is hearing the word of the Lord in the silence. And she has hope. Hope to the point where she's in tune with what's going on, and when she sees the baby Jesus, she knows. And she speaks, and she prophesies. When there was no word of the Lord in Israel, there is word of the Lord in Israel. Isn't that nuts? Isn't that amazing? And the common thread between both of these stories against all of the despair and all of just the spiritual apathy that the silence has brought to Israel... Is this idea of hope? The Hebrew word for hope is tikva, and it can be translated as hope, or I like this, it can be translated as cord. Okay, which you're like, cord. Okay, Greek is like this really like awesome, heady, flowy language, you know, that we're like. It's like pictures and ideas, and it's wondrous. And how you use a word in context can mean like paragraphs of stuff. Okay. Hebrew is like rock, cord, sheep. You know, I mean, it, it, it's, it, you know, it's not the language of scholars. It's the language of, like, shepherds, man. And it, it's just this is what it is with all of its glory and meaning. Okay. But the reason that tikvah means cord is that there's a story behind it? It's referencing the cord of Rahab. Do you remember this story? Jericho? All of these walls that will not fall, right? All of the city that will not be taken. And yet there is this promise of God, like it's going to get taken, right? And in a city of people who do not know, do not believe, do not even understand the promise, one woman, very unlikely woman, okay, read the whole story, right? Okay, got kids in here? Okay, just read the story at home. All right, she believes. She hopes in the promise that seems so impossible, and she lays the cord out of her window. Not just as a sign to everybody of like, hey, this room right here, don't destroy us, okay, when you come in. But just like, look, I realize this whole city thinks that, that, that this promise is ridiculous, and they don't even know it, but I know it, and I believe it, and I publicly proclaim it. And that's the, that's the story of the word hope. That's where you first see this, this tikvah in the Bible, is related to the story of the cord. The root word of it means to look for, to wait for, to watch for. Right? Even today, it's interesting, the Israeli national anthem is hatikvah, the hope. And it's about the undying hope of the Jewish people that one day they will reclaim all of their ancient homeland. And even and even kind of where this is not even this is not even a part, you know, this this is we're talking like politically now, this is not even a part, but it's so tied to this original hope that even now God's promises are still there, and we still wait and we still watch and we still look for it, right? From the creation account on every time there is an account of God's silence or stillness, there is an accompanying movement. I mean, think about it. The first words of the Bible, right? After you get, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless. It was void. There was nothing, right? And the spirit of God was what? Moving over the stillness. Moving over the silence. Hovering in anticipation is kind of the idea of the spirit of what's going on. Even when the silence is there, even when there is nothing, God is moving through the nothing. God is moving through the silence. That is the hope. That is the root of Tikvah. That is the root of this whole revelation of Advent is that in the silence God is moving. In the stillness God is working. In the nothing God is creating. Oh, yeah. And when we can understand that hope, when we can start hanging on to that idea, first off, it makes us ready to hear God when he does speak, rather than having our ears so dulled by the silence. I think a lot of times we get comfortable with the silence sometimes, you know, especially when that silence is accompanied by pain. We get so comfortable with just living in it that then even when God speaks, sometimes we miss it. We miss it because we're too afraid to hope that he might be speaking now, huh? Right? But moreover, and and this is really crazy, but, but I need you to see this. Moreover, hope enables us to see that silence. When we're living in the stillness, when we're living in the, the, the silence, when we're living in that land in between, right? Hope enables us to see silence as a great extension of trust by our God. I know that's crazy, but think about it for a second. Oswald Chambers, who's one of my favorite devotional writers, okay, Put it this way, when you cannot hear God, you will find that he has trusted you in the most intimate way possible with silence, <clears throat> not as a silence of despair, but one of intimacy because he saw that you could withstand an even bigger revelation. If God has given you a silence, then praise him, praise him. Because he is bringing you close to him. And he is bringing you into the mainstream of his purpose. Every time I read that, it just, it wows me. This idea that silence, many times, even in, in pain, or in longing, or in uncertainty, is not God saying, You've done something wrong and I'm upset with you, so I'm not going to answer you right now. I'm really busy. I'll get to you later. Or even, don't worry, son, this will build character. Okay, that's not even, it's not even it. Although it does, right? The silence is God drawing close to you and saying, trust me. So let me be with you for a while, okay? If we have the hope to hear it. If we have the hope to believe it. To believe that God is who He says He is and He does what He says He will do regardless of my current circumstances. That is hope. I'll be real with you. I don't come from a, a, a heritage that that does Advent, okay. Um, actually, I have pieces of my heritage, much to my chagrin, um, that are more like those sermons about like why you don't do Christmas, and they would preach those ones conveniently on Christmas, um, okay. We can start a support group, okay? I, you know, if, if there's anybody that's out there with me, all right? But, but so this whole concept of 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 stretching out this time beforehand and anticipating and everything, it, it's so like foreign. It's new to me, okay? And and we, you know, Nicole and I kind of talked about it, and we decided to start doing one, doing a, uh, doing Advent as a family this year. You know, we we did our first one last night. You know, we sat down. We, you know, the kids were just like, "When are we gonna light the candle? When are we gonna light the candle?" When are we "Light the candle," you know. I'm like, "Hang on," you know. Let me get all my stuff together. I don't know what I'm doing yet, you know. They're, they're like, you know, Clay's like, "So, Dad, what are we doing?" And I'm like, "I'm not entirely sure yet, but I'm, I'm pretty sure God's gonna show up, okay?" So, and he's like, "Okay," you know. And I'm like, "See, that's what I'm talking about." That's exactly what I'm talking about. And 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 I'm realizing this is why I need Advent, okay? In one way, shape, form, or another. Why I need it to be more than just something that that combats the consumerism of, you know, what Christmas has become, you know? We, We toyed with the idea of Advent a little bit sometimes when I was in youth ministry, but mostly it was just to be like, dude, stop thinking about presents. You know, it was, it, that, was, that was really kind of what the focus of it became. Rather than, no, totally and completely invest yourself in this idea of the coming, the movement of God. And that's really what we're going to be talking about over these next few weeks, is how this whole idea of the adventus, the coming, right? This whole idea is God moving, God moving in my direction. God moving in your direction. And that's why I need this, because a lot of times I forget the fact that God is moving. If I say, come Lord Jesus, what does that mean to you? Does that mean... Something that could happen at any second right now to you? Or are we kind of like that Israel in the 400 years of silence where the sacrifices are being offered, the temple is full of prayers, and the world just keeps turning around the sun, baby, and things are just going. And they just keep going, and they just keep going. Do we live with any sort of anticipation? What was it that made the early church so gosh darn crazy sometimes and yet so attractive? It was that everything they did was out of this hope, right? And Peter's talking to everybody and he's like, don't forget, always be ready to give everyone an answer for the reason for the hope you have. What was that hope? God is moving in my direction. God is moving. God is coming. God is moving forward. And even in the silence, even when we kind of like, he left and he went, but he said, don't worry, I'll be back. And we haven't heard anything since, but it's okay. Because God's moving. In the silence. Why do I need Advent? Because I need that mindset again. Because my life looks too normal. Because my life looks like somebody who just expects that another Christmas is going to come and go, and we're going to be like, yes, he was born to save us, awesome, and the world's going to just keep on turning. And yes, he's risen from the dead at Easter, and the world's going to keep on turning, and then we'll be displaced next year with another Advent. Shouldn't my hope not be bigger than that? Should our hope not be greater than that? But it's not just about that hope either, is it? Worship team, you guys can come on up. Um, It's not just about that one hope, okay? Because there's that great hope that's driving us, right? That God is moving in the big silence. And when we say, come Lord Jesus, what I really mean is, I'm ready for you to move. I know you're moving and I'm ready for that day, whenever it is, when that gets finished. And it's all done. But it's not just for the big hope. It's for all those little silences too, right? The silences that you and I are in right now, you know. The silence of uh, the empty womb is, is one that we know well. The silence of the hospital waiting room is one that you may know well. The silence of the big, quiet, empty house. The silence of the need for, you know, material. Things that, not, not that you just, you know, but the things that you need to live, man, you know, and they're just not coming right now. The silence of lack of purpose. You know these silences, okay? Some of you have been there. Some of you are there, right? We need Advent. I need Advent. You need Advent. For the hope in those little silences, too. When you are waiting on God right now, and you feel like you're in the wilderness, and you're like, I don't know where I am or when I'm going to get out. And the hope of Advent is God is moving in your direction, in the silence, right? My friend Joy went through, aptly named Joy, went through an experience... um, It was very, very difficult for her high school friend of mine. And this was what she put on her wall very recently on Facebook. And I thought it was just an amazing statement. I'm feeling like a tilled field that's ready for planting. Empty, exposed, waiting. And my response to her in a message was, it sounds like Advent to me. Advent says that we start with hope in the silence. Advent says that what seems like the end is just the beginning for those who believe, whether that's life, death, or anything in between. Right? And so my prayer for you is that you will let the hope of Advent fill you with that expectation again, with that anticipation that God is moving. And let you be both aware and excited about what God is getting ready to do now and in eternity. Let's stand and worship together.